This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Thank you. That was just an amazing feat of music making, just a, a beautiful, immersive evening. And I, I would love for you to speak to the audience a little bit about how this whole piece comes together to sort of channel um, Terry Riley. Terry couldn't be here this evening. He's celebrating his 50th anniversary and sent a note from the Yucatan wishing everybody good luck and many best wishes and lots of love. Um. Well, this piece started out um, because we got a call from Bert Ulrich at NASA. And his question to Kronos was, uh, would we be interested in incorporating some of these sounds recorded on the Voyager expeditions in our concerts? And when I heard about that, I, I thought, well, I, I didn't know there were any sounds out there. And uh, if there were, I'd like to hear them. And so, believe it or not, NASA sent us a cassette tape. <laughs> uh, Very high tech. Yeah. And uh, we listened, and, and I became very fascinated because to me it sounded like an aspect of nature, um, just one that I hadn't heard before. And uh, we were about ready to record a piece of Terry Riley's, and he was immediately the composer that came to mind. We had, at that point, been working with Terry for some 25 or 26 years, I think. And um, so uh, during the recording, I, I, I wanted to watch him respond to the question, would he be interested in incorporating some of the sounds from the Voyager uh, expedition in his music? And his whole face and whole being just lit up. and. Um, then within a couple of months, he and I saw a launch of the Challenger in Florida. And that was an uh, unexpectedly, totally emotional experience. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. And we kind of got a little behind the scenes uh, tour there. And um, I think he and I decided that um, our fears of the military industrial complex uh, and its uh, encroachment in the civilian sector uh, at least could be, um, well, what I should say is that we were impressed with the teamwork of the people there and, and the goal of, of knowledge and gaining knowledge seemed very important in, in what they were doing. And so we, we felt right about becoming a part of this. And then shortly after that, then we met the man that uh, invented the machine that recorded the sounds, and his name is Donald Gurnett. And, um, and then what happened is Terry began to compose, and um, Stephen will be interested in this. Uh, I got a call one day, and he, he, you know, he said, you know, I think this quartet is, is going to need a large choir. And I thought, oh no, how are we ever gonna play this? <laughs> And, um, and then uh, a few weeks later, he called again, and, and 
You know, I think this quartet, in addition to the choir, is going to need to have a, a vast visual uh, aspect. And, and then I knew we were uh, in for it. And, uh, but eventually, uh, what happened is that, that um, with the um, uh, uh, help of uh, Janet Cowperthwaite, our manager, uh, uh, she helped uh, form a team kind of around this. And actually, we didn't have a director or anything. We just, all of us kind of talked. And uh, Willie Williams became the uh, visual, uh, created the visual element. And actually, he's the one that uh, discovered the, the Neil Armstrong quote at the, end, oh. at, at the last moment, the beginning of the last moment, which to me is one of the greatest prayers. I, I just can't wait to hear that every time. It's, it's, I just love it. And uh, anyway, w Willie contributed. In addition to the visual things, um, working with Larry Neff, our lighting guy, he contributed uh, all of that, and um, it was it was fun, amazing. It's quite remarkable because the piece has such an organic quality, but it, as you peel away the different dimensions, you can sort of imagine um, Terry's process of discovering the need to embellish and to sort of expand the visual and sort of vertical quality of of the music, and it's it's quite remarkable in the way it envelops a space and an audience. Yeah, well, you know, um, one of the reasons that w Willie was uh, thought of was because um, Janet had been to a U2 concert, I think it was in San Jose, and, and she remarked on how um, uh, Willie was able to kind of make this event seem, seem very personal. And, and, and of course, the idea for um, Sunrings was was to bring um, uh, outer space into uh, inside in, in a way, and, and uh, so that's what it, we're trying to do. It also was a real great pleasure, I think, for everybody in the group to meet Don Gurnett, who was kind of this—he's the sci Mr. Science. He's he's unbelievable. He's one of the great experts and just brilliant, brilliant person. And it was wonderful for me. I was wondering, well, what am I going to... I had so many questions for him, probably very basic questions, and I was almost embarrassed to ask him because they probably, for him, were just so very basic. But he was very patient. He was just... He answered all my questions. I understood them after he answered them, but then I kind of, whoa, what did he really say? And, but it was a real pleasure working, working with him. We surprised him uh, right before uh, the world premiere of the piece. We recorded him, and when, when I first come on stage, the samples that I'm triggering, some of them are Don himself, and, and uh, he, I think he was very surprised that he ended up in the piece. We, we wanted to kind of surprise him, and uh, so we did. Well, actually, say a little bit more about how the sound and the texture are created, and Steve, also about the, um, what the chorus is singing earlier on in the piece before the words become, and the, and the poetry becomes um, more prominent. Right. Um, Terry Riley, it's really interesting the way I think he uses the chorus, sometimes really as a vocal organism, and sometimes very much as, quote, another instrument. And he builds textures in different ways, and he uses text in different ways, and that opening, <clears throat> the first movement that the chorus sings, the women only of the chorus, uh, earth whistlers, there are a lot of syllables that are taken, uh, they're based on this northern Indian language in Ball, 
and uh, but there are nonsense syllables in that that text actually doesn't have specific meaning. But then he weaves in um, the English and then the text that you can use. And <clears throat> that movement in particular, it has a real purity to it, I think, partly because of the way he asks the women to sing no vibrato at all for the whole movement. And in that way, they almost take on uh, an instrumental quality in a way. Um, and I think the control of textures is just fabulous. Um, and then in this, in the second movement that the chorus, in which the chorus sings Prairie Central, um, there's so many kind of, I think, mixed modes. Um, I mean, there's the language and the poetry and the way it, it's uh, stacked um, and all the text is kind of going at the same time. And then the fusion of uh, styles. And I mean, there's just, there's the bits in there that sound, they have the Latin kind of, yeah, the, that, there's the 12-8 sure. the gospel backbeat, there's yeah. a little bit of Latin, there, and there's just kind of a wonderful fusion. And it's so cohesive. I mean, it's, it's amazingly cohesive. And uh, just, I think it's marvelous crafting. And it, from a pedagogical standpoint, um, just being here as, as kind of a teaching element also, this is something that our students, it really pushes them in a different direction. Is it's not the kind of thing they normally deal with in this ensemble on a day-to-day -day basis, so. And how did you prepare them? Because I know that you came together in rehearsals at so very close to the performance. Yeah, last night, that would be. <laughs> we had one rehearsal of about an hour last night um, all together. And then we had a sound check this afternoon. And for us, it's a little odd because you know, we just started our winter term. So the first time this group actually worked together on this music was last Thursday, uh, a week ago last night. And, um, but the Kronos organization, the materials that they provided us were, were really quite amazing. Um, a whole stack of CDs, there was the movement, those two movements recorded in concert, live performance, so we could hear the whole thing together. There was MIDI realization of the quartet parts with string synthesized, synthesized, and then a piano sound for all the choral parts. And then there was that broken down by chunks in measure numbers. So you could, I could, hand, I could actually put these up on an electron, on a server, and they could, uh, all the students could access them electronically, and they could just play back and play back and play back measures one through seven of one movement, and uh, until you know they could see how the whole thing fit together. It's really quite amazing. And then sound files of the whole thing minus the vocal parts, so they could actually just rehearse on their own with the, with the quartet's parts. So when we came together, at least they had an idea of exactly what to expect. And, and just from a mechanical standpoint, that is indispensable for something like this, and especially on a short time schedule. Absolutely. Yeah. And tell us a bit about what you were doing on stage with your hands and the way the sounds came together and were activated, because it's so subtle, but I mean, is there a potential for complete sort of misalignment? How, what's going on back there? <laughs> uh, the reason we're kind of chuckling is that there's a huge potential for misalignment. <laughs> and uh, uh, we've uh, experienced some misalignment in this piece before. Uh, um, we won't get into uh, what can go wrong because everything can go wrong <laughs> in this piece um, at one point or another. Um, Actually, what we're doing when we're um, um, triggering the um, trigger, I, I don't really know what it is. It's a it's sensor. A it's, a garage door opener. it's a garage door opener. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> um, is uh, we're activating a body of samples, and um, 
well, as in the case right at the beginning, it's Don Gurnett and his assistant uh, from Iowa City, and uh, uh, in my part, in other other parts, there are various sounds. But the the um, reason for this movement, uh, this kind of motion, was something that Terry. Uh, um, uh, there's a kind of physical motion that singers in India uh, do, and especially his guru, Pandit Pranath. I remember uh, sitting in the very front row and with my daughter when she was about eight and watching him sing, and, and he was s motioning like this to us. It, it was fantastic. Anyway, he, he wanted to um, kind of uh, bring the idea of, of the, the traditional Indian singer into the into this piece. And so that gesture is very symbolic. Yes, in many it ways. is, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a, a very large scale work for you to put together. Do, do you, have you performed it at a number of places since the original commission? There were a number of original commissioners. Yeah. We have, I mean, uh, we've played it in um, Chicago, Chicago, Moscow, uh, London, uh, New York, uh, Brooklyn Academy. Uh, we've played quite a few places. Very interesting accents in Russia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Korea, yeah, Korea, yeah. In Korea as well. Yeah. Are you often working with student choruses, or is it the whole gamut of professional and? It's, yeah, it's been, it, it, you know, it's, it's one of the things about um, this piece that, that we enjoy is, is there is a sense of community. When, when we come on stage, we have a sense of of, um, in this case, Stanford University and, and the, the, the students, it was, it was great. And, I, uh, I remember once we did it, it was a, I can't remember the town, it was a smaller college in Indiana, not Indiana University, but a much smaller college, what was it? Oh, oh well, it's not too small, <laughs> Purdue, it was Purdue. <laughs> Pretty big college. But, but the chorus that they had there, they didn't really have a main chorus and weren't, it wasn't, it was a glee club, and yeah. and you know the, the conductor it, was hilarious. He, yeah. it, was, it was as though he was from Las Vegas or something. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was great. And he was urging him on, and you know they they worked so hard. You know, they, it was fun. It, you know, you, it really was a sense of community. Yeah. Well, I'd love to open <laughs> with the top hats and the sparkle. I'd love to open. Um, this up to the audience, but first I, I do want to acknowledge the very generous support of Sarah Ratchi and Ed Frank, who I hope are still, here they are. Thank you. The very generous patrons of Lively Arts who helped make this very big evening possible. Um, I don't know that there are people running around with microphones, so I'd, I'd say if you have questions, um, if you can direct them to us by coming to the front of the aisle, and then I'll repeat them back for everyone to answer. Any questions? Yes. Oh, the first performance was—it um, was October of 2002. This piece was begun in August of 2001, and then everyone knows what happened on September 11th, 2001. And so the piece was derailed for a while. And uh, the voice that you hear in the last movement, uh, 
the voice of Alice Walker chanting one earth, one people, one love was actually recorded uh, on, from KPFA on September 12th, 2001. Uh, Terry was so moved by what she was saying and we got permission to use her voice. But uh, anyway, what happened is that um, I think it was somewhere around December that he began writing again and, and the piece, he kind of scrapped almost everything he'd started with and, and took a totally different approach. And at first it was going to be more like we're sort of looking out at the, at the, the universe. And, and then he, he wanted it to be a little bit more like the universe is sort of looking at us and uh, what we have here on, on the earth. And um, um, so, so the piece took a, a radically different approach. But the, the premiere was in October of 2002 in Iowa City. Um, w if, if it's not on our website, we'll get it on our website, so. The role of David Devoren in this, the um, kind of working with the sound. I, uh, I think David Devoren was uh, basically Terry's um, assistant in, in, in terms of kind of dealing with the sounds. Um, uh, one of the things that Terry did was he, he listened to the raw sounds that we got from NASA hundreds of times. And in most cases, the melodies that you hear, like for example in Bebop Turismo, uh, that melody, um, I don't know how he ever heard it in, in the sounds, but um, I, he did a, a, a talk once, and he played the sample, and he played it about 10 times, and after about 10 times, I began to get a couple of the notes out of it that he heard in, in the melody, so I'm, I'm absolutely confident that, um, that he, heard the, uh, he heard those kind of things. And, I think what David did was uh, kind of assist him in uh, some of the alterations of the of the sounds. And specifically, I'm not sure I could even answer that really. But yes. Well. I, I, I can say that I, I spent about um, eight hours once with uh, Donald Gurnett and, and uh, we were just talking about the universe and, and um, it, it was an incredible experience and, and uh, uh, I, I left that uh, talk thinking I understood, I, I really understood things and I, I, w I tried to call my wife so I could explain to her about everything. And when I finally reached her, I couldn't remember anything. <laughs> but uh, just having that feeling, even for 10 seconds, is a really cool feeling. And <laughs> Don Gurnett just encourages people to um, uh, kind of
kind of think beyond themselves or something. He, he's, he's a genius in that. It's, it's, it's truly amazing, his, his ability. I think I asked him, it was about the planet Jupiter, a gas planet. And I think I asked him what would happen if you'd send a craft down and down and down into the gas planet. When would you hit something solid? Because it's a gas planet. And I was always, I couldn't quite fathom that at all. And like David said, he explained it brilliantly. I felt as though I understood it. And even now I'm kind of back a little, well, what did he say? But, but it was, it, he's just, he loves to share his knowledge. He's just an incredible person, an incredible teacher, too. There was a gentleman. Uh, I, sh I should say that in his office, he has these little models of all of the, see, he's been uh, inventing um, the um, plasma wave receptor, I think it's called. He's been inventing them for the various uh, NASA expeditions since the beginning of NASA. So he, he, his involvement goes way back. And it's really interesting to see these little models that, of, of these huge things that uh, went in, into space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got a large collection of, of um, natural, quote, natural sounds, and some of them aren't so natural, of, of all kinds of things. Um, and th that's what I meant was I, I kind of recognized nature in this. And, you know, is it an insect? Is it a whale? Is it a seal? You know, is it... Uh, I don't know if you've heard the incredible recording of the, of the beetles. Uh, that is, the, the beetles that are chewing up the pine forests in the southwest. This, this amazing guy uh, invented a microphone that you can put inside of a tree. And um, I like to play that on some of my DJ things. And, uh, anyway, it, 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 uh, uh, yeah, there's lots of incredible sounds to explore. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I'm very confident that he did, uh, knowing him. But I couldn't tell you what uh, harmony of what sphere it is, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he did that. Yeah, the, the visuals uh, were largely created and assembled by Willie Williams. And w Willie has been the uh, stage designer uh, for U2 and various uh, prominent uh, touring groups for many years. Um, and we kind of, uh, that was his uh, area. And basically, uh, I th you know, with some co definitely conversations with all of us and, and uh, uh, so it was something that was done together in, in a certain way, but in, in the end it was his 
imprint on them. Yeah, we'll probably all start to shake if we start talking about technology in our music. Uh, there's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, I mean, a lot of times you, you think, uh, I mean, when a computer breaks down, it's a little different than a string breaking because you can, you, you know, get another string out of your case. But, uh, um, or if a projector, uh, something happens. Yeah. You can do that with a computer, too, you know, you can replace the parts. <laughs> you can, but the day of the show or during the show, it's a little uh, scary. Uh, so, but um, I mean, th this piece uh, ha has uh, kind of uh, thrust the group into uh, areas that we hadn't expected to go. I think, uh, and uh, you know, since then there there have been um, many other adventures that we've had also. So uh, maybe someday we'll be able to bring some of those other adventures it's to It's actually to been a great learning experience to, to put music with film because it has to be timed really well. You have to figure out why, how to, how to do that. And then, um, as David said, things can go wrong. And you know, the first couple of performances of this was really, really shaky. You just never knew what was, if, if the music was going to come on at the right time or the, or the film was going to come out. And so just by doing it over and over and learning, what not to do and, and what to what to make uh, how to make it go correctly was very good and so we're more consistent now than we were you know when we first started and that's also with our, our visual music too which involves film too there's always a certain set of problems but it's really exciting to solve those problems and to to make it work Well, that's one of the nicest comments I've ever heard about <laughs> anything we've done, so thank you very much. <laughs> I think it's also great to have the, the chorus. That, I think it adds this human quality to the whole piece. It's having, you know, singing and words, you know, it's just really very heartfelt for me. That's a very good question because the the um, <clears throat> the way Don Gurnett explained it to me was that the um, <clears throat> there were s certain kinds of tape recorders that were projected into space, and actually what they were recording were, were um, uh, plasma. Let me, let me see if I can get plasma this straight. Waves. Plasma waves. And, and actually, the, um, 
the raw data is not sound even. It's something, you're talking to the wrong person probably here, but uh, it's not, it had to be transferred. And also the sounds, sounds in quotes are below the threshold of uh, human hearing, so it had to be brought, some of them are below and many of them are above, and they, so they had to be either reduced or expanded to um, allow us to hear them. Doesn't explain anything, does it? <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Yeah, well, I mean, he was attempting to create a prayer that was uh, reminiscent of uh, many different forms of uh, prayer, prayers. And uh, the uh, lay me down to sleep one, I really like, I mean, because it was so unexpected. The first time I heard it, I thought, wow, where did that come from, you know? And uh, We have one more question. Yes. <laughs> and I would love just um, a few final words um, from Steve and from you guys about who else is calling the Kronos office and suggesting new projects and what the, the choral singers will be doing on campus this quarter and, and next. Um, the, this particular group is one of five choral ensembles in the Department of Music and this is the most select of the five groups we have. Um, the biggest thing that all our uh, groups are doing, plus Stanford Tycho, plus Stanford Symphony Orchestra, is we're all going to China uh, this summer for about three weeks. And in fact, uh, we'll be opening the International Youth Cultural Festival. That's the beginning of the pre-Olympics activities, the Olympics uh, cultural activities. So we're leaving the day after commencement and planning a tour with 350 people uh, is quite an undertaking. It's kind of a, a full-time job for an entire team of people all on its own. So that's the big thing. The, one of the things that this group, the Chamber Crawl, is doing that's very exciting is uh, we'll be uh, recording um, a new CD in April uh, with Arsis Audio, which is a wonderful uh, small independent label but very well known for choral music based in Boston. And uh, we'll be doing... Uh, the music of one of our faculty composers here, who publishes uh, by Shermer, uh, is published by Shermer in Boston. So that's coming up. So they've got a lot of music to learn. This gets put back in the library tonight, and uh, we start on that on Tuesday. And okay. actually, we'll be having you back on stage here with the Stanford Symphony in April. That's right. And well, th th that's right. That won't be this group, the uh, Symphonic Chorus, uh, which is the largest of our uh, ensembles here on campus, it's about a little over 200 people. Uh, we'll be doing Carmina Burana, Carl Orff's uh, magnificent ode to spring and love and lust and uh, celebration of life and fortune. Uh, we're going to collaborate with the Jingxing Dance Company from China. And what's really exciting about that is we'll be doing it here on this stage 
uh, it will be danced by Jinxing Company, and then we'll do it with them again in Beijing at the end of our uh, tour there. So uh, we have to say, uh, you know, a big uh, nod of thanks to to Jenny and the Lively Arts folks for for uh, bringing Jinxing out here this April. So that'll be very exciting. Thank you. And where are you guys headed next? Well, let's see. We. Um we're headed off to Maryland and Georgia and New York and all, a lot of places in the East. Um, we have a number of premieres. Uh, we've been working with uh, a wonderful composer named Alexander Vrybolov, and uh, she's written her breakthrough piece now. It's really good, and uh, we're going to be premiering that in uh, February. And also, our, our um, uh, we have a... Uh, a commission that we award to composers under the age of 30 and uh, uh, our fourth under 30 commission um, uh, is one that went to Avia Koppelman and she's coming from Israel uh, tomorrow actually and uh, we'll be working with her next week and then we have uh, Rahayu Supangaf coming from Indonesia the week after that we're we don't know what we're doing yet, but we're going to do something with uh, Supanga. We also have a, a record that's going to be released in February of Terry Riley's music, uh, The Cusp of Magic, with Wu Man, who plays the pipa. And that's a beautiful recording. And so hopefully, pick it up. Well, thank you very much. This was an unforgettable evening. Thank you for coming. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.